Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm your host, Sean Duffy, along with my co-host for the podcast and partner in life, Rachel Campos Duffy. Hey, Sean, it's so good to be back at the kitchen table. And today at the kitchen table, we have, by the way, a non-invited guest called Valentina, who's sipping her sippy cup right here and may end up making some sort of, I don't know, noises or questions. I don't know what she's going to do in the middle of this podcast. But we have our oldest daughter as well, Evita Duffy. She is a senior at the University of Chicago and a writer at The Federalist, and she is the co-founder of the Chicago Thinker, that newspaper, uh, that conservative collegiate newspaper that's making all kinds of waves all over the country, um, coming out on behalf of students who have been forced to vaccinate, forced to mask. She's been calling out all kinds of wokeness on campus and She's our daughter. And by the way, she's getting married, Sean. (laughs) She's getting married at the end of June. And I as she's busy studying, I've been busy wedding planning. That's right. Welcome welcome to the kitchen table. Back to the kitchen table. That was an awesome welcome. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) There's a little bit of guilt in there about how little you've been contributing to the wedding preparations. But But aren't you grateful that I'm not a that I'm that I'm not a a bridezilla controlling everything? Well, hold on a second. We've actually debated that maybe a bridezilla would be better than the daughter. (laughs) Mom does everything. No, you know what? I've actually decided. So at first, you know, I was really upset that you would not participate in wedding planning, that you just wanted to get married, but you didn't want to deal with any of the wedding details. And then I exactly what Sean said. I just I embraced it, actually. And I decided that I was going to pretend like this was my wedding. And so the cake, the menu, the flowers, everything has been my idea. The only thing that you were absolutely determined um, to have a say on and you got your way on and we spent more than we wanted on was your dress. So true. Just to know, uh, Rachel, your mother and I, We'll have been married for 23 years this Sunday. So Our anniversary. that's, that's wonderful. Wedding. So do you know that yes. I, I joke every time I, every time you ask me a question about wedding, wedding planning and say, what do you think of it? And I say, it's your wedding mom. I <laughs> know <laughs> you do. Well, guess what? When I got married to Sean, I said the same thing. I kept talking about it as my wedding. My wedding. And Sean's like, aren't I part of this? And I'm like, not this part. It's my wedding. <laughs> Mom has it all, but that's we're not here to talk about weddings on today's podcast. Sorry, More actually, I think. Can I just say one thing? Because yes. let's, I can't let the wedding stuff go. 
Okay. If you know, we're actually going to do a segment. Um, I don't know in a few weeks from now on cutting corner, you know, with all the inflation and all the bad economic news, like how do you mm. save money on a wedding? And I'm like, this is a little late for the producers to tell me about this, but maybe we might be able to use some cost cutting um, last like minute things on the wedding. If you've seen the movie Father of the Bride, <laughs> the money spent, I feel like I'm living that. I'm like, this costs how much? I know. I'm going to the store and start ripping hot dog buns out of the case. Like, you know, like six, six buns to eight hot dogs. Ridiculous. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, by the way, we're not having hot dogs and hamburgers at a Venus wedding. Not just that, so, not that I didn't so, propose that. <laughs> not that Sean wouldn't have been down with that. <laughs> All right. So listen, we want to talk to you about a, a lot of things. Um, but the first is a lot of people have been absolutely loving this piece that you wrote for the Federalist. And I, you know, I, I haven't, I don't think I recall so many people writing me and over something that you wrote and saying, I needed to read this. I was losing hope in young people. And this actually, so why don't you tell us about the piece and then why you wrote it? Yeah. So the piece is um, about a recent, actually not recent, a two year long TikTok trend that's still going strong. Um, and it's called romanticizing your life. And people will, you know, say hashtag romanticize your life. And it'll be them, you know, talking, changing the way that they they look at life. So they'll be, you know, using, start, starting to do, uh, starting to have better habits or enjoying the beauty in everyday life. Um, and all these little things that are sort of changing their outlook and making their lives more meaningful. Um, and so they're saying hashtag romanticize your life. Um, and, and so my, my, synopsis was that actually this entire trend is a rejection of postmodernism in young people because postmodernism, and this is something um, that Jordan Peterson talks a lot about, doesn't believe that, does, doesn't espouse that life has meaning. Everything is just suffering. And then eventually you die um, because there's no God. Everything is, everything is a critical theory. Everything um, is, is arbitrary and, and can be, you know, constructed and morals are relative. And so when you, when you have that belief system, when you have that worldview, your life becomes really meaningless. And this trend is the exact opposite. It's saying enough of this this really horrible outlook on life, we're going to start romanticizing our lives. Um, and so maybe Gen Z doesn't know that they're, that they're rejecting postmodernism um, because they're not aware of, of even what postmodernism is, but, but they are. Um, and I think that, you know, it might not be perfect, but it's a really hopeful trend in, you know, in our current, you know, social media sphere, because there's a lot of really horrible things on, on social media too. And this is just a great bright spot. Right. It's a super positive thing. So so for people who have never been on TikTok and seen somebody romanticize their life on a TikTok video, can you give me just a little better description of what that looks like? So what that means is pretend like you're talking to your dad who has no idea about TikTok. Yeah. So so one of one of the so one of the ways that people participate in the trend is there's this audio that will that will play in the background of every one of the romanticize your life TikToks. Um, and the audio is, is basically saying you have to start romanticizing your life. You have to start enjoying the little things. And then they'll show you in the TikTok them doing those things. So it'll be them, you know, you know, having better habits. They're getting up in the morning and they're going to work out and then they're coming home and they're making a healthy breakfast. And they're, they're looking at, you know, a, a sunset or, or flowers and they're looking at beauty in their everyday lives and, and making things seem better, making their lives feel more meaningful. Um, so they're, they're showing you a visual representation of how they themselves are changing 
their perspective on life. Um, and it probably makes the most sense to actually watch the videos. And if you if you look it up on the Federalist, um, you can see a bunch of TikToks embedded of, of examples of this. Um, but that's the best I can do. <laughs> you know, I think that's the, I, I kind of get it. I'm I, I'm with you. Is this is this because there's this idea too that we're this collectivism, the socialism, this Marxism that's taken root in culture. Is this also a trend to say, listen, I'm an individual. I, um, I'm in control of my life. I'm not a victim. I'm going to drive um, you know, my own life. I'm going to be the star of my life. Yeah. I, I mean, I, mean I, think, I, think, I think that's part of it too. I think you know, we, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, so this is, this is actually, this is interesting because I talked about in the article that there is in Gen Z, a sort of toxic self-love culture. So I think yes, that's, I've seen it. It's like self-care. Uh, yeah. Cortez is really big on this. And it's, it's, it, it kind of goes into not just self-care, but then self-obsession, you know, where you are like the center of everything. Um, and I think what, with this, so I think this trend can be dangerous in that, you know, because one of the lines in, in the audio that I was talking about says, you have to see yourself as the main character. Well, you know, you're not the main character of, of the world. You're not the center of the world. Um, so that's not a good thing to, to devolve into main character sort of right. energy. But the idea that, like dad was saying, that you should, um, you know, take control of your life. You should be an individual. You should take ownership of your habits and your actions and your outlook. Those are really positive things um, that I see the trend promoting. Um, so there's all there's always a chance that people can take it in the wrong direction, but I think overall it's good. You know, Vita, you have been taking a class on Thomas Aquinas, right? Yes, that was last quarter. Yes, you took a class on Thomas Aquinas, I should say. I forget you're in this, you're in the trimester um, cycle at your university. So can you talk to me about this trend in the context of that philosophy versus postmodernism? Cause I think for a lot of people, these terms are very esoteric and I, I want to help people understand what, what you're talking about a little bit more on that level as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, philosophers all throughout history from the great ones like, um, Aquinas, like you, like you said, and Aristotle, um, they all promoted the idea, they all believed that beauty was objective, that we can actually quantify and, and, and understand and evaluate what beauty is. Um, and it's not just whatever, it's not just a construct, it's not a social construct that we've you know, decided beauty is, it's actually something much more innate. Um, and it's so- like, It's like, Evita, can I trip you? It's like porn, you know it when you see it, right? I mean, you exactly. know when something is- That's exactly what- Just like right. you know when something is beautiful. And when somebody shows you something that's garish and ugly, but then tries to convince you that that building is actually beautiful and postmodern, and you're like, well, no, Hunter it's not. Biden painting is beautiful, right? The same thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. No, but right. You, I, I, I love that, that, there, that, that beauty is knowable, right? Right, and so, the, in the, so just to make, bring the connective tissue in with that, the, so the trend, all of the videos in this TikTok trend happen to be very beautiful. So on another even deeper level, this trend is actually rebuking postmodernism again by showing that they understand what beauty is and that beauty actually mm. exists um, because they're able to recognize it, record it, and share it on social media. Yeah, it's so interesting because uh, Tucker Carlson on Tucker Carlson today had a really great 
um, show on, and I, Sean and I were kind of talking about it the other night just on how ugly so much of American architecture has become. And again, it's that, I, that, that idea you're talking about. We'll be back with much more after this. Since the 1970s, working class Americans and U.S. investors who saved wealth in dollars have seen the dollar lose over 80% of its purchasing power. In contrast, investors who diversified their cash into gold saw gold appreciate over 5,000%. For Americans who invested $50,000 in gold when America left the gold standard in the 70s, their gold is worth more than $2.5 million today. While gold carries no guarantees and past performance does not equal future results, investors who do their own research will see that gold's performance over this time span is what gold has consistently done in the face of eroding paper currencies. For over 15 years, St. Joseph Partners has built its business with a singular focus on helping investors diversify their wealth and protect their families in physical gold and silver you hold in your hand. Don't let your hard-earned savings go unhedged. Call St. Joseph Partners or go to our joint website, kitchengold.net, not .com. That is kitchengold.net and protect your wealth. Can I tell you about something really simple that this, this TikTok trend, you know, is fascinating to me, especially because it's happening in this Gen Z culture that's kind of known to be very secular and 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 sort of rejecting a lot of these, um, uh, you know, ideas that that for example, Thomas Aquinas has talked about and, and others, but I, I had a friend, you actually knew her, Evita, when you were a little girl and her name was Elfrida. She was a German immigrant. She was a good friend of Sean's mom. And I became very close with her and I would go visit her with you. And she once told me that she, when her husband died, she was really depressed um, and she was just this really hardworking woman. She cleaned homes. She, she cleaned like a good German woman. She knew how to do it. She just took, had such a great work ethic. But when, her, when her, her husband died, she was just deeply, deeply depressed. And I remember I was a very young bride at the time. Um, I, had, I, had, I had you and I don't even think I'd had your brother yet. And I asked Alfreda, I said, well, how did you get out of it? And she goes, it is the small things, Rachel. Darling, 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 darling it's the small things. I would pour my Diet Coke into a wine glass, a goblet, and it would just make me feel so good. Like it was like <laughs> that, that little thing of pouring yeah. her soft drink, right? This very pedestrian kind of drink, right? But into a nice goblet and just sort of that special moment. It, it kind of, rem- I mean, I know it's probably not the same thing as this, you know, multimedia TikTok thing you're talking about. But again, it's about elevating the ordinary, right? Yeah, no, I, I I think that's that's absolutely right. And I know I maybe you guys probably don't know, but for if there if you guys have any younger fans that listen to the podcast, one of my favorite quotes. That's why you're here author, to get us fans, younger fans. Right? <laughs> so one of my favorite, one of my favorite quotes from The Office um, is at the end of the whole series when Pam says, "You know, there's beauty in ordinary things," and I think that was the point. The whole show, the, the show was about you know, people in a dying industry, the paper industry, right? They, they worked for right. Dunder Mifflin and they had pretty mundane lives. They lived pretty boring lives. But at the same time, you know, arguably the main character was Jim Halpert. He met his wife, he built a career, he raised a family. And suddenly the, this is this really entertaining show. And it a really actually kind of the message is profoundly beautiful um, that you can find joy and happiness and fulfillment in ordinary life or in an average job, like at a paper yes. company. 
I love it. Well, That's I, actually very Catholic. I, th- I thought it was too. interesting too. That I, this is a side note. I didn't realize how popular The Office had become with your generation, Evita. And you're watching every episode. And I think it was on Netflix. And they, when they were going to take it off, or they took it off of Netflix. Like your generation was wild about it. Like they can't take The Office off of Netflix. Office. It was, like, it was outrage. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of, the, one of the highest rated shows on Netflix. And you guys all started watching. You didn't you didn't grow up with it, but you all started to watch it on Netflix, which I thought was interesting. Can I ask you? Like, I don't mean to be a pessimist. But I see so much on social media, Vita, that is mm-hmm. fake, right? Everyone is like, I'm, and we, Rachel and I were just, um, we went to Mexico for a couple of days and because we can't go for that long with all these kids. Right. Um, we only get a couple But days. you see all these, these young girls on the beach, like oh taking God, that pictures was so crazy. of themselves. And we would go for a and, walk and they'd be like on, like taking pictures of each other and pretending like they were sex objects and, on the beach. And they're in this professional yeah. shoot. Like there's, there's a lot of staging. There's a lot of, fakeness yeah. around social media um to, to 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 present to everyone who follows you that you are having a blast and you're having a ball and it's so much fun and if you're not with mm-hmm. me you're missing out when really they're not really having that much fun i wonder yeah. if the same thing is happening with this tiktok trend that you're talking about are people pretending to be the star of their life and pretend like they're working out and eating healthy and making their bed every morning <laughs> to make them seem really great? Or do you think actually it's a trend that people are showing that I'm actually doing great this? Question. Is it real? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that everybody who, who did that, who was participating in the trend is doing it sincerely because that would be a lie. There's absolutely people who are, who are not doing it um, because they're actually changing something about their lives. They just want to show people that they have it all together. Um, but what I think is heartening is maybe they're lying about it. Maybe, maybe they're not. What's, what's interesting is that they've recognized they don't like what the postmodern world has offered them. That even maybe they're lying about it, but the point is that what they have is not working for them. They don't like thinking that every that that you know life is meaningless, that every that nothing is innate, that beauty doesn't exist. They don't like it, and so they're trying to do something about it. And maybe it's fake, but the but the heartening thing is that at least they recognize what we have right now is, is not is not good. They're, they aren't happy with it, so they're rejecting what our culture is offering now. This but, postmodern, so, but even but even if this is fake, right? They're they're putting things out there on the line. Um, a quote from the inter, uh, the uh, the intern. Um, okay, sorry, Sean, sorry. See, like you're so obscure. I know. But I but, love that movie too, but I didn't know movie. that. But they're they're putting it out there, and it's aspirational. So even if they're yeah. faking it, they're inspiring other people who may not maybe do their own videos, but they're like, isn't that great? People are actually making their lives better. They are the stars of their lives. They're taking control of their lives. They're they're rejecting, as you say, postmodernism, and maybe that'll inspire people. Um, to live better, healthier, yeah. you, you know, Vita in, beautiful in, lives. in Catholic, the, the Catholic way of thinking of things is, um, and of course I, I, I kind of come back to a lot of that. You, you hear mother Teresa always said, do small things with great love, right? That right. these little things that we do. And as a mom, for me, one of the things that was really important for me when I, you know, I was an at home, I mean, people see me on TV, but they, they don't know that I was actually an at home mom for 14 years. Most of your life, Evita, until I got my first job, um, out of the still home. mostly at home. Yeah. I, yeah. I got a job with the Libra initiative, um, which led me to Fox, but you know, even when I was with Libra and Fox, I still was working out of home, but in, but traveling and definitely, um, busy in a different way. But uh, those 14 years, 
when you're a mom and you're home in your home and you've seen all those home videos that we have of either of those times when we lived in Ashland, Wisconsin, and you know, the things that you do, no one sees, you know, you're in your house and, um, and so much of how I had to think about things was that, you know, these things mattered, you know, whether I was cleaning or, you know, changing a diaper or teaching you how to sing or helping you with your homework or making cupcakes with you or whatever we were doing that it, it may seem like a small, you know, thing to, you know, it may seem like nothing to Barbara Walters, or, right? Or nothing to the world. Or almost. Yeah. Nothing to the world, nothing to every, everybody who everyone thinks is so accomplished, but it was the world to you. And it was the world to me. And again, that thing about I'm the star of my, this is the life that I'm building for my family. Kind of like what you were talking about with the office. I thought that was such a great uh, analogy you brought up because, you know, the rest of the world would look at the characters and even the industry, as you mentioned, um, at the office and sort of mock it. But in the end, what is life about? But relationships and 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 building, you know, a life and a family. Um, I just think that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, maybe this is a, this a little tangentially related, but, you know, dad was bringing up how, you know, upsetting it was to see all these people living these fake lives when they were supposed to be enjoying themselves in, in Mexico. Right. And they're just living in the digital world. Um, and as I'm thinking for myself, when I one day want to start a family because I'm, I'm getting married as much as I think this TikTok trend is heartening, I, I'm not going to give my kids um, a smartphone or social media if they want to pay for it themselves, maybe, and that won't be for a long time, right? Um, I don't want to put that in their hands because I don't think that it's um, ultimately uh, healthy for them, and, and for the exact reasons that that dad brought up. So as well, this this might be a good trend, and I think it's helpful because we know that a lot of kids are going to be on social media no matter what. If you are a parent who's thinking about whether they want you want your kids to be there. I, I would suggest not like, and I'm so sorry, because, you know, I got a phone, you know, in, in as a freshman in high school, which is, you know, old for some years, but I would say I probably didn't even need it then. So it's kind of changed the rules after you. We, no, no, we didn't. We, so we, the, the first four have all gotten phones probably at right. that same time, like freshman year. But Paloma, number, is, Paloma now, is not getting a phone. And so she's in, she's in, she's so mad about she's it. She's in eighth grade. She's going to be a freshman next year. And we're like, nope. Not getting a phone. Yeah, we, don't like, need we've, we've, we really learned a lot from, I think, the mistake we made of letting you guys have the phones. I don't think we understood just how powerful of a tool that was. But that's the benefit. So, I mean, just think about it. We can make mistakes if, with the first four and still have, you know, yeah, you five left. Do overs five left to, to get it yeah. right. We'll get it right with so, Valentina. So Go ahead, a, Anita. There's a study that says that, you know, half of, of you know, I think it's 12 to 18 year olds who have smartphones a little less than half of, of teens who have smartphones spend around 10 hours a day on their phones. So they're consuming social media and, and text messaging almost all of their waking hours. They're completely consumed on their smartphones. And that's a really frightening stat to think about. Yeah. Also most, uh, I think it's like, uh, like it's a most boys I, think, I wish I had the stat in my head, but the, the number of boys that are exposed to pornography at the age of oh, the, the average age for a boy to be exposed to pornography is 11 years old now. 
And that is because of the phones, which is also frightening and has massive implications about how boys develop the way they think about girls, the way they think about sex, their expectations their I mean, it just throws, it just absolutely pollutes their brains. Okay. And that's because of the, the ease of and, the phone. And I'll just go back to my youth at that age. I mean, young boys at that age at 11 or 13. I don't know how old I, I mean, but you, you shocked by that. No, but you might, you might see a playboy, you know, magazine, Maybe. right? Oh my God. I but, thought they were playing Legos at but 11. That too. But there's a difference, though, in in the hardcore porn that's there now versus um, versus what someone might have seen 30 years ago or 40 years ago, um, no doubt. But Vita, can I tell you what I find fascinating about this conversation? So, you know, mom and I come from from culture a little bit. We were we met on reality TV. We did reality TV. We were on MTV. Um, but as I've gotten older, I, I, I kind of accepted the fact that I'm not hip. Um, I'm not cool. But um, it's interesting now that to have kids your age to kind of bring us up to date on what's happening and, and the trends that are taking place and, and the meaning of the trends, the good and the bad. Um, as as a as a dad with a you know early twenty year old something daughter, it's fascinating to go. I'm so out of touch with what's happening. But, and I, but even I, when you were in your twenties, you were out of touch. But with I would culture. never. We would never know what's happening, but for having kids of the that's age true, that is using true. it, right? Which I think is actually really helpful. That's for true. Us. But when everyone had already moved on to Nirvana, Sean was still loving. Um, uh, what's the what's the who the ones you like a lot? I can't live this. Oh come there. on, Sean. Uh, um, what, that was the yeah, no, no. I wish it was Guns N' Roses. He no, liked, was, was Guns N' Roses. What's the, what's the you're talking you... about Meatloaf? Yeah. No, I, I, listen, by the way, listen, I love Meatloaf. I'm sorry. I got, stuck, listen, I got stuck in a lumberjack truck um, in Iowa somewhere, and we got rained out all weekend, and the only cassette tape we had was poison. Like Meatloaf. I was going to say Poison. Oh, oh, I love Poison. Yes, Brett Michaels. Um, oh, that's classic. I was trying to think of the uh, name. Yeah, Guns N' Roses, Poison. You know, we're I like them too, but you're a little late. No, not, not, everyone no, moved on to grunge. I, I didn't move on, right? I didn't. I was you, not. I was, you, grunge you rejected was, grunge. Grunge was too dirty for me. You rejected grunge. I did, and you, you did. embraced it, right? You were kind of grungy yourself <laughs> in those old pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I was too crisp for that, right? Um, she was. I saw her on this on the Real World. She was kind of living on the edge. She was. She was. And even they no, even please. said that they said Rachel's views are conservative, but you know her lifestyle. She's and her vibe is is pretty. It's pretty edgy and liberal. <laughs> See, and here's a problem with what if you do reality TV when you're in your 20s, that's the problem. You have to remember that your 20 year old daughter will watch you when you were 20 and hold <laughs> you back to your mother. Oh, yeah, I've had a lot of things thrown back. It is, so, it is the no greatest about form it. of entertainment for me. But I will say, if anybody actually watched the real world when it came out, mom's season is way better than dad's. I couldn't even make it through dad's. Thank so, season, season three was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Boston was a little boring. <laughs> there right. were some there was some good stuff in Boston for sure. But um, but anyway, you know, Avita, I, I love that you wrote this piece. I think that it's very it's a very interesting look at at young people at what they're doing at, again, this rejection of this, you know, nihilism and bleakness. And I don't know how else to say it. You call it postmodernism. But I do think that, you know, we all want what's beautiful. We all want what's good. And and that that maybe there's. It, it's built into us. Right. And, right. and that even people who don't know they want it actually, or didn't even know they wanted it are, are seeking it in their life. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life pro-family views, then 
every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Tell me what you think. Um, are there any other trends that you're seeing out there that make you make you or others feel a little bit more hopeful about Gen Z? Oh, that's that, that's no, a good question. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back to there are many. That's why I felt so inclined to to write this piece <laughs> is because. But you know, in in the in the article, I, I do talk about there being other other ways to to find hope or to give your kids a a better outlook on life, and and that's you know stuff you're not going to find on social media. So like the best example is the Lord of the Rings. I mean, I loved that series. I didn't actually read it until I was in college. Um, but it's one of the greatest one of, first of all, it's, a, it's entertaining. It's a, it's an amazing epic story, but also it's one of the best refutations of, of postmodernism, of modern leftism, in of what all way? the things. Right. So, I mean, th- this is, these are, these are, char- so, I mean, it's in, it's in the, it's in the characters, right? So one of the best scenes in Lord of the Rings is when Sam and Frodo are, are, are climbing um, the mountain to destroy the ring. And Sam, you know, notices, he says, you know, we're, we're in the stories that we were told as children that, you know, there's some good in this world and it's worth fighting for. And all of these, these storylines and, and, and the, the quotes are not just, integral to that story from Middle Earth, but also reflected in our own world. And, and it's a deep, I mean, Tolkien said it himself, it's a deeply Catholic story, um, even though it's, it's, you know, fantastical and has elves and dwarves. Um, and those are the kind of stories that we should be putting in the hands of kids um, that will actually create, you know, or, or foster their minds and their souls um, in a meaningful way, not the smartphone. So Sean and I are reading Little House in the Big Woods to your sister Margarita and to Patrick. And it's so interesting. Like there's one chapter. First of all, how these people survived in 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 pioneer days is amazing. And it it's actually very there's a there's it's very accurate to what people had to do to survive in the big woods, which of course is so interesting to them because it's the big woods in Wisconsin. So they're familiar with it, but what I what there's an entire chapter on how the dad cleans his gun and makes his bullets and your siblings were absolutely mesmerized by the whole story. And I thought there is no way anyone would be like no publisher would allow a chapter on how, you know, Pa cleans his gun and makes homemade bullets. Mm-hmm. In, in, a, in, a, in a book today. And yet, right. even if they were telling it historically from that perspective, and yet it was riveting to the kids. It was so descriptive. It was amazing. And, and the kids loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can tell. And I love those books too, growing up, but I'm so glad you guys are reading them, reading it to them because I mean, that's like I said, it's, it's the best way. Um, to, 
to combat everything that they're going to, that's going to be thrown at them on the phone, perhaps even the classroom with their friends. I mean, it's, it's the only way is with, with the family and, and with other books. And, so and, and it brings me back to the theme I continue to harp on is it's a parent's responsibility to expose their kids to, um, to little house on the prairie, right. Mm-hmm. It's, and to, and to, um, Lord of the Rings. It's bringing those great pieces to to the attention of your kids. Getting them to read them or read reading them to your children is how you expose them because they don't find it themselves. And you're I not going to get it in a, school. You're not, not not now. You're not, and especially with some of these books, they're like these are these are racist books, gun toting books. Yeah. Um, you would never be able to read them. But I also think, again, if 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 we all start to pay attention as 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 conservative parents or America loving parents and raise our kids. Well, um, the future is really bright. It's when we turn our kids over to social media, when we, when we turn our kids over to the school system and disengage from the education and formation of our children is when they're able to get our kids. Um, and you, I mean, again, you've been in your fourth year, you're in your fourth year at university of Chicago. Um, I would argue from what you tell me is it's pretty liberal. It's pretty woke despite what they want to present to the rest of the world about, you know, we're a campus of free speech and you've done pretty well in actually, you know, starting a conservative paper, actually creating dialogue on campus, you know, p- pushing a different point of view that some kids may not like they, You might get a whole bunch of threats and a whole bunch of hate, but um, it's forcing a dialogue and a conversation. And for us, that makes us proud that you've done that at the school. And it's not just at the school, you've, you've, you've brought your writing and, and the issues on campus to a, a broader um, audience, whether it's at the Federalist, you've been on, you've been on Tucker and Fox and Friends. Yeah. And, um, so again, I'm proud of you, but I'm, I'm kind of proud of us as parents. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, I'm not going to take credit for Vita. I'm going to tell you what, she was born so flipping smart. I was just talking to somebody about how precocious you were as a child, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I think that, I think what you're doing in letting people in, giving, giving, uh, a little window into what's happening on campus. We, we do sometimes occasionally hear the crazy campus stories, you know, on the news, but you've given us some perspective really quick before you go, because today, the last two days, Barack Obama has been at the university of Chicago at a, a, a conference, I guess, on disinformation and democracy. Um, members of the Chicago thinker, you and your friends, your, your, your colleagues at the Chicago thinker have been there to, um, to observe, to ask questions. A few of these questions have gone viral. Tell us what you're seeing. Tell us um, how it went. Yeah, I mean, well, the, <laughs> the crazy thing is that, so this is an event put on by the Chicago Institute of Politics, which is run by David Axelrod, Obama's former chief advisor. So that's why he has the contact to bring Obama in. But this is a three-day event um, about disinformation. And the people that they've brought in to combat disinformation are some of the greatest you know, liars in American history. We have Obama, who, whose administration was you know, responsible for the Russian collusion hoax. And then we, you know, he invited Brian Stelter and um, some other- From, C- from CNN. From CNN, oh, yeah. Spied on his opponent, right? Right, and, and, and then Ann Applebaum, who's you know, another partisan from, from the Atlantic. So this is a partisan event. There are a couple conservatives, but they're acceptable conservatives. So there is Jonah Goldberg and Adam Kinzinger, um, who are obviously very useful to the left. So really, they, they don't care about combating disinformation at all. And the reality and what we've what I learned from actually listening to them 
is they care about taking back the power that they lost when social media democratized information. They want, they literally said it straight up. And I wrote a piece about it. It's also in the Federalist um, that they want their great piece I read this morning. Yeah, that's a good one. They want their gatekeeping powers back um, and they want to put back trust in government and in journalism and in academia. And they don't consider why regular Americans might distrust those institutions. They just say, we need to control the social media algorithms so that we can make control the information again. Um, And that is a scary thought. So instead of combating uh, information they don't like with, with whatever they deem better information, they say, actually, we're going to silence you um, and we're going to do it via the government. So if, if you think things are bad now with the tech oligarchs in Silicon Valley, you better be concerned because everything I've heard this, you know, these last couple of days has been they are gearing up to get the federal government to have oversight um, over the algorithms and what you're allowed to say and think essentially in this country because the public well, they don't want government public. to free speech to, to advance free speech. They want government to put tighter controls on, on technology. Yes, exactly. So it's, it was, a, it's really disturbing and, and you can read about it. And if you go to the, the Chicago thinker.com or our social media on Twitter, you can see a lot of clips. We've had a couple of our journalists push back um, student journalists push back against um, you know, some, some of the reporters that have been there. Um, and it's, you know, it'll, it's, it's, it's been interesting and, and actually very insightful. If you want to sort of take a look inside their brains and see what's going on, it's, it's quite disturbing. Well, you know, it's, I find it interesting because the, 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 the eye is opened of the left, um, when Donald Trump won in 2016 and they said, listen, Donald Trump won because of Twitter and Facebook. And it was a, uh, still at that point, it was a free speech platform after he won and used those platforms to get his message out and others would share his message was when they said, we have to shut this down. We have to have better control over information. We have to control disinformation, which by the way, we, we all know that again, for, for three, four years, uh, the left-wing uh, media was promoting and, and big tech was promoting the Russian hoax. Absolutely mm-hmm. disinformation. They shut down the information around uh, Hunter Biden's laptop, which is important because Joe Biden was making money off of Hunter Biden's foreign escapades and therefore may be compromised right now as president. They completely shut that down. And so the purveyors of disinformation have been Democrats and big tech. And I just I'm, I'm a firm believer that no one can tell you what truth is. Right. Because everyone has a different perspective of truth. And that's why our founders were brilliant in saying, listen, we believe in free speech. You can tell lies. You can tell misinformation. You can tell partial information, partial lie. And I leave it to the smart people in America to figure out what the truth is. I can't have, you know, a ministry of truth, right, decide what is true and what's not. That's not the way we were founded. We were great debaters. We had great conversations. And with a smart public, we could figure out what the truth was. And it's worked well for us for over 200 years. But that also takes away power from the elites. And if the elites can control information, can control speech, can control ideas, they control everything. And so they see the power of the public square, which is now social media. If they can control that, they can control you. And so the tool for this free engagement of free speech and ideas has now been used as a horrendous tool against one side by another side. You know, I think also, Evita, prior to social media and then social media plus Donald Trump, what happened right. was the New York Times basically set the headlines for the day and the rest of the country kind of followed. That's why they were called the paper of record. 
and they would put out their headlines during the Trump candidacy and presidency and Donald Trump would tweet something and blow up the headline. I mean, it would be a, the whole country would be talking about whatever Donald Trump tweeted about because they were genuinely interested in whatever that was. And that drove the New York Times and all these, you know, important publications very, very crazy. They couldn't take it because they want to be able to decide what everyone in the country has to talk about. Right. Right. Can, can, I, can I have one last point? And, and sure. I forget the magazine that did it. So someone said something um, about election time about Donald Trump. Um, they were a conservative, as a conservative, a conservative article. And then the left wing media started to call that and other articles in favor of Trump dis, uh, 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 fake news, fake news, fake news, fake news. They used that phrase first. The left wing media did MSNBC, CNN, The New York Times. And Donald Trump took the moniker of fake news and applied it to the liberal media. Back at them. And it stuck that fake news is actually the establishment media. And by the power of one guy in a Twitter account was able to flip the narrative on the most powerful media outlets in the world. And it showed the power yeah. of what Trump could do. Again, take their attack and throw it right back at them. And, and everyone still banned. And from everyone Twitter. was like, of course, they're the fake news. And he was, he'd point them out. He'd, he'd point out their lies, um, which led lended credence to the fact that they were you know, providing disinformation. Well, and I can tell you, I'm proud that you're there. And that the thinker who I know had a fight to get a press pass. It's the most read um, paper on campus. You do better than the Maroon. They weren't going to give you a press pass. Is the, the, the establishment the, liberal paper. Right, on campus at, at Chicago. You guys fought for a press pass. You guys got in and, uh, and were able to report on it and get major views because I think a lot of us, like mom and I, and a lot of others don't see what happens on campus and how liberals and professors and universities will use the power of politicians and people from power, like David Axelrod, you know, big authors, Barack Obama, and use that to drive a false narrative to students. And that you guys expose that the rest of the country. Um, again, one I think one of the videos has 1.3 million views on Twitter. Over that, over Barack like, Obama over was there. Were you guys like able to ask million. him questions? <laughs> Yeah, so, so that, that's a, that's an interesting one. So virtually all the speakers you've been able to ask questions of, except for Obama, who had pre-screened questions that were asked by the moderator. But not very brave of him. <laughs> it's kind of like he's, when he was in the White House, pre-screened questions from, right. from, uh, from the media. Don't ask him any other right. balls. All right. Any, la any last thoughts, Evita? By the way, tell us the name of both articles. What's the article that you just wrote yesterday about the conference at the University of Chicago about disinformation and democracy with David Axelrod and Barack Obama. What's the title of that one? Yeah. So the title is Barack Obama and company dishonestly lecture you Chicago students on disinformation. Okay. Um, that's at, that's at the Federalist. And by the way, she starts off the article by saying Barack Obama talking to the students about disinformation and democracy is like, seeing an arsonist lecture you, hearing an arsonist lecture you about fire safety. I think that's a pretty good description of you. Okay. And the one, yeah, pretty accurate. <laughs> and then the one that you wrote about being the star of your own life, what's the title of that one? The TikTok so, trend. That's how the romanticize your life. TikTok trend is a Gen Z rejection of postmodernism. And both of these are time. Say it one more time. So people yes. can remember that's a mouthful. How the romanticize your life TikTok trend is a Gen Z rejection of postmodernism. 
Love it. Right. And that's on the and Federalist. Both of, so both of those articles are at the Federalist and the Chicagothinker.com. All right. And so just so you know, Vita, this weekend, me and your sisters are going to your cake testing tasting we're going to be tasting cake well <laughs> yeah we're deciding on your cake your me and your sisters are going to do that this weekend i am not going he's not going he's staying home with the with valentina and 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 the and the boys and then i'll take all the other girls and we're going to decide for you it's going to be a surprise um we're going to continue planning away as if this were our own wedding Evita. Mom plans away and I pay away. He pays away. I plan away. Well, I'm grateful to both of you. I'm very, very grateful. It's going to be beautiful. We're really excited for you. We love you. And again, very proud of you. I think these are two really great articles that people can check out at the Federalist and also at the Chicago Thinker. If you have not uh, subscribed to the Chicago Thinker, if you're not following them on Twitter, um, you should. If you are looking for a good publication, to give a few bucks to to keep the fight going, um, the Chicago Thinker is a great place to put a, a little a little of your extra cash to because they're doing great work. They're really at the forefront of the freedom movement, of the free speech movement on college campuses. There's not a lot of other um, publications that are doing as much to advance that cause and be a respite um, and an oasis for students, not just at University of Chicago, Vita, you've told me about people kids from across the country yes. that write um, to the Chicago thinker and say they're inspired by that work. Last kids, word on the Chicago thinker. Yeah. Well, and I, I would just say, you know, we're, we're one of the few publications in the entire country that is actually fighting the fight. Um, most of them, you know, the, a lot of the other papers like the Stanford review and, and the Harvard paper and the Dartmouth review, they tend to be pretty centrist um, and not very brave. And the Chicago thinker is brave. And I think that's why we've, we've had the amount of success that we have is because we've had, we've, we've cultivated a team of very courageous writers. So if you want to, if you want courageous young journalists, the Chicago thinker.com is, is the place to go for those kind of stories. Yeah. Not just courageous, great writer, great writing, great writing is hard to find. There is great writing at the Chicago thinker. By the way, one last plug for the Chicago thinker is that when professors are attacked on campus or are in any way, you know, silenced. A lot of times they are, they can't come forward because they're afraid and they'll leak stories to the writers at the thinker. So you have the students who are, you know, sadly more brave than many of the professors, but the professors have, you know, their careers on the line. And that's really what, what happens on college campuses. We, we have university administrators, students, um, professors, even members of like the UCPD, like the like the Chicago Police Department, all of them have leaked stories to us because um, you know that they're looking for a place that they can actually tell the truth to, and and, and we're that we're that institution that's going to give them a voice. All right. Well, Avida, thank you so much for joining us. I know you have so much to study, so many papers to write here in your last semester at U Chicago. Thanks for joining us at our kitchen table. We're looking forward to when you can. It's your kitchen table, too. It's your kitchen table, too. But we want you back. back. We don't want you virtually at the kitchen table. All of us really miss you, want you back home. So we're looking for, I guess you're going to be back in a couple weeks, right, home? Yes. So very soon. I'll see you guys at the real kitchen table. At the real All kitchen right. table. We've enjoyed this conversation with you. Love you, Vita. Um, I talked to you earlier this morning. I'll talk to you later tonight. <laughs> but <laughs> this is our public too. conversation. <laughs> Spanish moms. All right. Um, if you've enjoyed this conversation, let us know. Subscribe, rate, review this podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download your podcast. We hope to see you around the kitchen table next week. Thanks, everybody.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. In these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.